Welcome back to Caminantes. In this series of episodes, we'll be speaking with artists who have been part of past Caminos festivals to talk about new work development and life after Caminos. This week, we're talking with Latinx Arab cabaret queen, Selena Vial. Selena is a Canadian Comedy Award and Canadian Podcast Award-winning storyteller, singer, and dancer who is known for her political performances and social commentary. Let's get started. Selena Vial in the house. Oh my God. Hi. Come on. Hi. Oh my God. It's finally happening. It's finally happening. I'm finally here with you. I love you both. Thank you for having me. Yes, we are so happy that you're here. Um, this whole episode series right now is talking to artists who have been part of past Caminos festivals. And uh -huh. you have been part of the uh, 2019 Caminos Festival when you performed your amazing AOC number that like yes. was absolutely the right number to to do for this the, the crowd because they all went wild. My yeah. sister still talks about it. Every time I do that number, I'm like, is this the right audience for it? But this was the one show where I was like, this is the right audience for it. I was... Yeah, certain about it. That's when I got my, I got Lucinda Mew, uh, my fellow Latinx uh, drag queen to make me AOC's classic like white suit that she walked into Congress in on that first day. Yes. So that felt really nice. That oh felt really God. good. Um, so Caminos is a work in process festival and there's all kinds of different art forms that are supported there, like theater, but burlesque, all sorts of different kinds of art. And you do lots of different kinds of art and performance yourself, like drag and sketch, just to mm -hmm. name a few. Mm -hmm. So Selena, do you have a helpful tip for someone who's starting to develop a new performance piece? It could be like a new drag number or a sketch scene, for example. Basically a helpful tip or approach you wish to remember when you're developing your own work. I would say focus on telling the story and make it a story you want to tell and not something you think people want to hear. Because I find that if it's personal to you or if it's something that you're excited about, there's always going to be people in the audience who are excited about it too. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's relatable. We all have that one thing. Even if like not everybody's going to get it, there's going to be the people in the audience who do get it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So focus on like your voice and the story you actually want to tell. Because if you're doing something that's not authentic, that's going to translate. Like I'm not going to care about what you're doing if I don't think that you are doing it for like authentic reasons. So yeah. Yeah. You can sniff it. Yeah. I have a question between creating drag and sketch. Like, because I know, because we've done sketch together and I know we were like, let's try this scene and then we change it and change it. And then we change it until it's good. Or sometimes you improvise something that work one show and then you add it. How does that work in drag? Like, do you, do you, how do you workshop a drag number? It actually is a little bit of the same way, except there's less rehearsal and more just doing it and then fixing it as you're doing it, like doing it, fixing it for the next time. Like even that AOC number, the one that I presented at Caminos Festival was not the first one, like the way I originally performed it. I used different tracks. I used, I didn't use different quotes. I used the same quotes, but yeah, like it just kind of went a little bit different musically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it is a little bit of the same process of workshopping what works, except you're directly workshopping in front of an audience every time. Because people are a lot more giving with drag. Like there's a lot more... Um, a lot of times, a lot of drag shows are free, so people are just tipping, whereas with sketch shows, people usually pay to see them. Mm. So it's a, it, it can have a little bit more of a workshop vibe to it. 
And so it's kind of like a safe space to like, just try things out. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is actually quite similar. Like whenever I'm building a number, I love to do mixes. Like I'm not somebody who likes to just, I mean, I do like to go up and just perform a number straight up, but I love to perform mixes where I add in sound bites from other things. Yeah. So it's usually workshopped live in person. And do you make those mixes yourself? I do. Yeah. They're not always. How did you learn to do that? I don't know. <laughs> I just started, I just started playing on GarageBand. Um, and GarageBand's pretty easy and straightforward to use. Like that's my main tool. If I ever have to do something like way more complicated than what I'm doing it, I, I will hire somebody to do it for me. Like I'll pay a DJ or someone to, to do proper mixing. Yeah. But I guess also having a lot of control over it yourself is part of it too. Like you can then mix it yourself later if you don't like it. Like yeah. you're in control of so many aspects. Exactly. Yeah. I can fix it and fix it and fix it on my own instead of having to pay somebody to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Dope. Yeah. Drag is such an amazing art form and everyone has their own kind of lens into it. But one of the things about your drag and about your performance style is that you are like kind of unafraid to talk about political things. Uh -huh. You are like have an opinion and it's it's clear and it's like so beautiful. So for you, what's your connection between like political action and drag? It's interesting. I never used to be political. Like growing up into my 20s, even partway into my 30s, I was not, I'm in my 40s now. I was not a particular I was not a particularly political person. I considered myself apolitical. Like when Gigi Good said on like season 12 of Drag Race, she's like, I don't, I kind of stay out of politics and like, I don't really get it. Like that was me back in the day. Mm. And then it wasn't really until I started writing in sketch comedy and they really drive into you that like your voice, your point of view, what do you care about? Especially like I studied a lot under Carly Heffernan and she really drove that point home with me. So I started writing sketches that I cared about, things that I was observing. Like I wrote a sketch about how men tell women to smile on the street all the time and I like reverse it and had a woman telling a man to smile and then just kind of like flipped it that way to like kind of like turn it on his head but but yeah it, it's it it was really watching Bob the drag queen on season eight of Drag Race when she was talking about how political she is back in New York and they showed pictures of her like being arrested at a protest in full drag and it really drove home the point to me that like drag is inherently political like drag started as a pro I mean, didn't really start as a protest like there's different a lot of different origins of drag but one of them is protests <laughs> and like it's political in itself because it bends gender it like it fucks with your can i say that word yeah. <laughs> it messes with uh with people's idea of gender and like that's political as well right now and i watched that clip of bob the drag queen saying that way before i did drag so when i started drag i had it in my mind already i was like drag is political drag is political and i often see so many like white queens in the village who are like the big headliners who get all the big gigs who preach about community and preach about like speaking up and like we're the voice of the community but then they never actually speak up when something is going on in their own community like when there's like when young black performers are saying hey we're not like getting enough opportunities and like we're not being respected and these bar managers are, are treating us really poorly they never speak up and i hate seeing that so i love to take that on and just like add a, add to their voices and kind of amplify what they're saying so i think we have a responsibility as drag performers to actually step up and be there for the community mm. love that so everything that's happening in the world right now and we all went back to our houses or wherever we 
we seek shelter. Yes. And we want to know how did you adapt your drag art during this lockdown? It was really hard. It was really, really hard because I spent most of that lockdown with my parents in an apartment in Ottawa and they're not like my mom is like Mexican Catholic. My father is like Lebanese Orthodox. Like we don't talk about being gay. We don't, they don't know I'm a drag queen. Um, like we don't talk about any of that stuff. So it was very, very hard to not do it. Like I, I just didn't do a drag for a long time during the pandemic. And then when I finally like came back to my own apartment in Toronto, it became digital drag and I really had to learn how to make videos. Mm -hmm. And like, I always had fun making videos. Like I always loved it, but like, I really had to turn up the dial. Um, I collaborate a lot more now. So Gaping Hole is an amazing drag performer in Toronto who is an incredible videographer and editor and turned out some, I, I made some incredible videos over the pandemic thanks to Gaping Hole. So I became a lot more collaborative. I became, uh, I did a lot of great videos that I'm still haven't posted all of them yet. I'm going to be posting a few more in the next few weeks. But yeah, it became that. It became about like video drag. And like that actually inspired me to get into the Toronto Fringe Festival and write an original album and create original videos with Gaping Hole as well. Yeah. Uh, and Kitty Creature helped me write the music. Yeah, so I, I put on, I made an entire visual album during the pandemic. Yeah. You literally did. Like, yeah. incredible. <laughs> Like all these original songs, like, and had you been in, into songwriting, lyric yeah, writing? Yeah, um, through comedy as well. So I studied musical theater like way back when. And then when I was doing comedy, um, I really dove into musical improv. So making songs up on the spot. Um, and that really helped me. I wrote this whole, this whole album in a month. I wrote nine original songs in one month. And that's thanks Ooh. to my working brain from comedy of doing musical improv all the time and writing on the fly. So I can write mm -hmm. clever lyrics on the fly and like I can write, I can like come up with a melody immediately. So yeah, that really helped me in that process. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, and then now there's like a whole visual album that people can go see of yours that didn't exist right. before. So I guess that's something yeah. awesome. Um, and now has it, how's it been coming back in person and performing live in like this new context? It was scary. It was really scary at first because the place I went to work immediately at was El Covento Rico, which is a nightclub. It's not a bar. It's not where like, because bars were opening up and people could sit down and you couldn't get up from your seat. Mm -hmm. Whereas this was a nightclub where I'm used to having hundreds of people standing in a circle while I'm performing in the middle. And so this was really odd. I remember the first show back, we had to wear masks as performers and the audience had to wear masks as well and it was limited capacity it felt like there was 25 people in this giant bar and it was it just felt yeah. sad it was like weird and awkward and like still kind of scary and then yeah the next weekend i went back and like it was like half full i would say but there was a lot of people people were not respecting the mask rule and then they just kind of gave up and were like eh nobody's really wearing i shouldn't be talking about this on the podcast they're like no nobody's really wearing their mask and people are dancing like crazy and like we weren't wearing masks anymore like as performers and because wasn't there a rule that like if you're drinking inside you don't have to wear your mask but then everyone just kind of doesn't yeah but you have to be standing in one spot so i think the technical rule right now is you can dance without your mask on in your spot but if you go to the bathroom if you go to the bar you have to put your mask on right Who's doing that right yeah 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 so yeah. it's scary but then after a few weeks it was just kind of like ah eh, this is let's just we're vaccinated now let's just have fun 
I don't know. I'm not really performing right now. I'm taking a self-imposed break, like a mental health break for myself to kind of like cut out all the noise and just just mm-hmm. focus on one thing at a time <laughs> for once in my life. That is awesome. You just did a full album. I think you're yeah. super okay. I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think it actually really drained me and not even making the album, but like promoting it. That drained yeah. me. Like having to like try and get people to watch it. That was draining. And when everything is online, you can't like, it's like just posting constantly yeah. or like, what is the strategy? It's It can be super draining. Even if you're just sitting in one spot, it's like, yeah <laughs> there's so much going and especially on. with shadow banning happening because that happens all the time and like some days i would get like 20 views on a post and some days i would get like 400 so like i didn't know what the proper w- time to post is and like what tools i have to use to get people to actually see my stuff so it became very frustrating yeah yeah 100 percent. so we want to know I, we know you're taking a little break but in the future where do you want to go with your dragon what is selena's dream <gasps> selena has so many dreams she's a she's a big thinker one great thing about taking a break is my wheels are always turning and i'm like when i come back what am i going to do it has to be big so mm-hmm. i think like the next step for selena is i want to produce large-scale shows i want to produce shows like in a proper theater with expensive tickets where I can pay a cast of performers a lot of money. Like that's my dream. I don't want to say what kind of shows right now as I'm still thinking about what they are, but like I want to produce like theatrical shows. And then, but like my big, big, big dream is I want my own TV show. Like I want to write, I have a lot, a few ideas in my head of like something I could write that could work. So hopefully in the next like five years, Selena could have TV show on the air. I would watch like no hesitation. Yeah. Wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our previous guest on the podcast from last week is an Indo-Caribbean writer, theater maker, multidisciplinary artist named Jiv Parasram, and he is asking you this question, Selena. Mm-hmm. How do you define your communities around you? What is your accountability to them in that relationship? What do you give them and what do you get back? Okay, interesting, interesting. How, okay, what are the communities, how do I define the communities that are around me? Yeah. I, the, I, okay, I have a bit of imposter syndrome around this because I'm a very white-skinned, Canadianized, Lebanese Latino. So like, Latina, I don't really know where I land anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like my family is fully Lebanese. My family in Mexico is Lebanese, but they live in Mexico, but... I didn't grow up with a lot of Lebanese culture around me. Like I never grew up speaking it. We went to Lebanon once when I was 13, but like Mexico, I was there every single year. I was there for Christmas. I was there all summer long. We traveled all around Mexico. I went to day camp in Mexico. Like I was very like up until I was like 27, like I was going all the time. Yeah. So I was very in tune with my Mexican culture, which is where the name Selena came from. Like I grew up in being in Mexico around the time of Selena's death and like her music was everywhere and I bought all the cassette tapes. I still have them. Yeah. So like that's kind of like cultures that I subscribe to, but I also still have like imposter syndrome around it because like I'm not authentically Mexican. Like I'm not like a Yeah, that's you know what, like, I mean? what does that mean? Yeah. 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 But like I sp- I'm fluent in the language and like I grew up with the culture. So I, I kind of like I adopt it for sure. 
Yeah, and also yeah. queer culture and just being around queer people. The, the, the communities I surround myself right now are trans people, a lot, a lot of people of color, like not just Latinx, but like a lot, like a lot of other cultures as well and races. And so like, I feel a responsibility as somebody who has a voice that people listen, like people do listen my voice um like when i do numbers people pay attention people like and like i put on shows like queens of the world which i'm gonna put on again but i want to change the title of it so this is one of the things i do for my community is like put on shows where performers can come in and celebrate their culture in a show like that and have the audience being able to celebrate their own culture and hopefully see themselves represented on stage and when i was doing that show i remember queens coming up to me afterwards and saying like this show was really important. Like these are things I never thought about. Like I never thought to do a number from Sierra Leone, like, like representing Sierra Leone. So like it was, it's, that's kind of like what I like to bring to the community is awareness of, of our identities and who we are. I like to uplift the communities around me. I do a series on my Instagram called Boost a Buddy. It was called Boost a Queen, but I'm changing my language. It's called Boost a Buddy now where I just mm -hmm. like talk up someone in my community, like a, a fellow performer and give them praise and give them their flowers and yeah, repost their pictures, repost anything about them. Listening, listening is a big thing I do <laughs> is like listening, paying attention, reposting information they want shared, amplifying people's voices, educating myself. What do I get out of it? Education. I like, <laughs> I learn a lot more by being surrounded by more and more people who have like, a little, I guess, more like authentic perspectives than I do. Yeah. What do you mean by authentic perspectives? Well, like I said, with the imposter syndrome, right? Like, yes. Like someone like, <laughs> like Monica, who grew up in Mexico and like, you're like, uh, like you, you are Mexican. I'm a person who grew up in Canada and spent time in Mexico. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so like centering someone like Monica in a Mexican show, yeah. for example, or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Nice. And like you're based in Toronto, which is like some say some one of the most multicultural places in the yeah. world. So mm -hmm. I'm sure like there's infinite cultures to learn about here. Like I just know that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, very cool. Thank you for answering that. Yeah, cool. um, thanks for asking. Yeah, thanks, Jim. <laughs> we're so excited that you were here because we, you were such a big part of the closing of the festival in 2019 of the Caminos mm -hmm. Festival, and now you are our closing episode yeah. of this season of uh, the podcast. So we were like full, big, gigantic circle. I like, love it. We're closing yeah. it out. We that was that was the last live one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the last one was streamed. Yeah, so we're all adapting and we're all figuring it out. But um, we're really glad to be talking to you and still being connected. So keep keep rocking your shit, and we'll keep watching. That's right. Hey, watching. listen. Thanks for staying in touch, and thanks for giving me a platform. Y'all are amazing. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you all so much for listening to this season of Radio Aluna Theater. This is our last episode for this season, but we'll be back in the spring with more. If you miss us, don't worry, because you can listen to the episodes of this season or past seasons over and over again. Stay tuned for updates on the podcast and all of Aluna's live projects and more online art at alunatheater.ca and on our socials. Hasta pronto! We are speaking to you from the shores of this beautiful Zaga Egan, known to some as Lake Ontario, in Toronto, or Dagorondo. 
This is the ancestral territory of the Haudenosaunee or Longhouse Confederacy, the Anishinaabek Nation, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit, Treaty 13, also known as the Toronto Purchase. At Aluna, we remember that people can begin to heal when they are hurt. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial. Radio Aluna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theatre with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and TD Bank. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shellness with Sue Ballin. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Monica Garrido and Camila Diaz Varela. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheater.ca, follow at alunatheater on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Miigwech and Nyawangoa.